So good morning, everybody. It's Jean Nathan, and this is Crosstown Conversations. And um, we are really going to have a conversation today, and I want you to be a part of it. So please, I know I'm not normally kind of your typical call-in kind of show, but I'd love for you to call in and join our conversation this morning at 260-9265, 260 I'm calling today's show a kitchen table conversation because I'm bringing you into my private world where in the mornings, um, after I have been um, awakened unnecessarily early by a husband and two dogs who like to get up around 5 a.m., and sometimes I can go back to sleep and sometimes I can't, and when I can't, I wind up at the kitchen table um, dining room table, really, with my husband, Robert Tannen, who has been on this show a few times, as you know. And um, we kind of talk about the world and New Orleans and the things that are of interest to us currently. And um, it's kind of my favorite part of the day because it's when we get to spend a little minute or two together before we uh, rush out and deal with the universe and our work. And um, so I'm going to just kind of bring you into our world as we have um, kind of a typical kitchen table conversation focusing on the things that have happened in the past year that are uh, changing our world one way or another, whether they're uh, international or national or local. And I'm sure that we are not going to remember everything because we kind of put our list together quickly this morning. So I'm really anxious for you to call in and add your um, uh, things that happened this year or are happening more so this year that uh, are going to affect the future. So I'm getting a little sign from my husband and he thinks I ought to get going. So <laughs> this is typical of him. He said, you talk too much, you worry me to death. Okay, so um, for, on the top of my list, and I'm sure many of the people in the audience, has to be the Hands Up movement as a result of the exposure of a long time history, and we know this is nothing new, of police violence, but it's, the world has changed because of body cams and other cameras, cameras in the cars, and so we're seeing things before our eyes that were hidden before. And so the whole issue has come to a fore remarkably as a result of these cameras, and I think it's having an enormous impact on an awareness, on a consciousness, on the part of people who are not faced with it every day, um, with police violence and, and, and just in general um, an attitude about um, uh, racial stereotyping, I guess we'd have to say. So, um, you know, Tannen, uh, jump in any time here, but this to me is, is an extraordinary movement. The other thing I like so much about it is that young people who were not involved in the civil rights movement, who may or may not have been politically active over the past few decades since the height of the civil rights movement, are engaged again. And they're out there and they're protesting and they have to be thinking about our world in a new way and about their role in it and their ability to affect change. Because one of the things I talk about on the show a lot is the importance of every citizen having some impact on change, whether it's just plain through voting, and I'm always encouraging people to get registered and vote, um, or getting out on the streets when necessary and calling through the media and through 
protests to an issue that needs greater exposure. Just to follow up to that, before I came south in the late 1960s, I did, as a consultant, work on the Massachusetts State Criminal Justice Plan. Elliot Richardson was then the Attorney General of Massachusetts, and he hired me because I had written to him about community policing, that is, creating storefront as opposed to the main traditional police precinct structure to have storefronts in neighborhoods throughout the Boston area at that time. And it was an idea that was being considered. It was part of the plan, and unfortunately, when Elliot Richardson left office, the plan perhaps did not get fully implemented. But the idea was to bring law enforcement and criminal justice into the community in a way that it would be accessible, where people knew what the laws were, people knew who the people were that were involved with criminal justice at a neighborhood level. Which was at a time, kind of the idea was a throwback to the earlier days in our city's histories when the police on the beat in the neighborhood knew everybody. They hung out in the candy store. I can remember so clearly there was a candy store at the corner of 149th Street and the Grand Concourse, which is basically where I grew up, who was always Ray. His name was Ray. I actually remember his name to this day, some 70-some years later. Well, what we did in Boston was to use the storefront. Storefront development was a major thing in the 60s. That is, people were renting stores to do galleries, to do special events. So using vacant stores as places where people can enter without feeling that they're going into a police precinct building. That sounds like something that would really make sense today in New Orleans. Of course, what we're dealing with in the world today, in our world, is such a dearth of resources because of the movement to cut back government. There are those people who feel government has been too much of an intrusive factor in our lives, so they have pushed for cutting back budgets and cutting back taxes. And so the resources to do things like that have become so scarce. And that's one of the problems, of course, that we have had with police practices here in the city of New Orleans. Why don't we go through the list that we hope to cover today, and then we can bounce back. Oh, you want to get organized. No, I don't want to be organized. I want to have a totally chaotic conversation. Can I just list my list? It's a table of contents. I had seven local issues and seven national issues. All right. You're a guest, and I guess I have to. Okay. Literally, you just have to go through the list, not talk about it. That's all I'm doing. Number one is the 10th anniversary of Katrina. I'm talking about local issues now of the last year. 10th anniversary of Katrina. Number two, change in state politics, which is a big change, a sea change. Three, the Joe Mitchell Center and how it has changed Bayou Road and the 7th War neighborhood. And the neighbors and the storefront people on Bayou Road who started that before Joe Mitchell came. But I was thinking about things more recent. But the Community Book Center, which is still there, is a wonderful institution. And also the Pagoda Coffee and Meeting Place. Number four, demographic city change. Not just change in state politics, but change in the population of New Orleans post-Katrina. Number five, the bike culture. 
bike riding culture and the bike lanes and all that uh, that means in terms of transportation citywide. Six, uh, the mega hospitals we have now in our city, uh, the state hospital and the veterans hospital are bigger institutions than most cities have. It will change the economy of the downtown culture as well. And then the last one I have on, on local is the St. Bernard Arts and Culture. The parish of St. Bernard now is beginning to become, it has always been, but it's now taking on some of the, the activities that we normally associate uh, with the St. Claude area, uh, Araby, and going beyond Araby as far as Poitras. So St. Bernard is becoming a cultural place. Then on the national issues, uh, the first he's one. just scooping all of my issues. You know that, folks, right? Okay. So by doing his list, he's just sort of gotten ahead of everything okay. I was going to talk about. No, num- number you know, one, this is a husband and wife situation here. Number one this year, uh, the big issue is the BP settlement. Uh, uh, I have seven. I'll go through them quickly. Uh, the second is the holy wars. That is the, the the wars between the East and the West, which are focused on major religious issues and cultural issues. Uh, then, then gun culture, the gun culture in the U.S. and gun, gun culture internationally. Uh, next one is uh, the Republican Party being trumped. And uh, uh, after that, I would say water, 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 water is, is beginning to be a major subject internationally and nationally. The lack of it, uh, the problems associated with it, and the distribution of water, the inequity, and the dangers uh, in some places. And the last thing I have is something I'll be doing next month, which I call High Ground and No Ground, which is a uh, a plan of the Gulf of Mexico, where the high ground is and where the no ground is from Florida to Texas. Okay. Well, I'm not doing my list because I'm going to leave at least some mystery for the show and and, uh, and and have people definitely hang in and find out what I have to think about rather than kind of triggering the whole thing the way my husband just did. But And certainly some of the issues that he talked about are on my list as well. But let me go back to the list, the, the item that I started with, and the, the hands-up movement and the effect of cameras and kind of the increased awareness of, of uh, essentially racial stereotyping on the part of, of, of authorities, whether it's the police or as in the case of Chicago, it obviously uh, was a policy and a pattern that, that reached all the way to the top that, that uh, has people in the streets right now calling for the um, uh, impeachment of, of the mayor. So um, it's not just the police. It's, it's really – In uh, Chicago. In, in Chicago, Chicago yeah. yeah. That's what I said. Uh, but also, um, you know, in, in so many levels of government, there's, there's patterns that reflect – um, the, the racial um, issues. So I, I think that, you know, uh, there's just a, a whole different level of, of awareness of this. And once again, I think we have to, at least in part, attributed in one case to technology, the cameras, and the other case to the youth. And I love seeing the young people engaged again because... In the streets. For a number of... Yeah, in the streets for a number of years, they were kind of MIA, missing in action. They just weren't, weren't, weren't involved. And post... Katrina, I really felt like, and, and I hope I get some calls on this, but I, I, I felt that the the political clout of the African-American community was so reduced and just seemed, again, to be kind of hunkering rather than out there in front of things. So somebody tell me I'm wrong, but I was 
have been concerned about that and, again, like seeing the young folks take up the baton and be out there. So that's one thing that I think um, has been very important. Gun violence, without a doubt, <laughs> but that, that hasn't changed. We still, uh, although uh, having uh, Canizaro, our um, district attorney, out there for the first time that I can think of that a police authority A person, at least in this city, has come out and said, we have to look at um, the control. issue of gun control. Yeah. And uh, so that's a, a major development, which I hope develops. I mean, it's insane that with all of the street violence on the one hand and these mass murders on the other, that we can't come to uh, a reality uh, uh, about the importance of doing something to make it harder Um, for both legal and illegal, because uh, what I'm hearing now as I track the news is that we have an enormous uh, trade in illegal guns in New Orleans, and that's part of what's going on. Well, there's, there, there's a, two issues there. There's the rural use of guns, which is associated with hunting and uh, areas where people have guns for other uses. And then there are the urban guns, which is not for hunting. It's not, not for getting your, your turkey out of the wild. But uh, urban guns are focused on other people, whereas for the most part, rural guns are focused on hunting other species. So it's two different subjects. And the reason why NRA is such a problem is that they have a large constituency of urban – excuse me, of, of rural gun users – Uh, in addition to the, the issue of, of the Second Amendment. I was going to say, uh, uh, in addition to the fact that, um, you know, we go back to the uh, early the founding fathers who were convinced that um, not allowing citizens to have guns gave the, the state too much power and made it impossible for um, people to to um, to challenge authority, which was a part of our founding. I mean, we, we were founded through a revolution, Understood. and that revolution required uh, guns, and so uh, it's protecting that right. And I understand that conceptually, but there is no doubt that at this point in our history, these huge um, guns that can fire off, you know, rounds and rounds and rounds where they find, you know, casings of bullets at a in a playground – Um, you know, numbering in the in the dozens the, and dozens. There's another issue there, I think, and that is that when the country was first founded, uh, having an organized military as we have today was very difficult and very costly. So local militias where people formed uh, their own little groups of, uh, of armed uh, men and women to protect their neighborhoods and their, their part of the environment. So the difference then was that uh, having, having weapons yourself made more sense than it does now in a time where we have a national uh, government that has a military and a very formidable uh, use of weapons. Mm. Well, you know, yeah, except I, I guess my focus still is on – What you said before, I think, was really the issue, and that is that guns in the cities are used against people. Yes. And, and that uh, in the final analysis, and, and used in, in against people for minor disputes. I hate to hear these stories where there was a fight over food at the table or a piece of clothing 
um, uh, you know, or, or, or girlfriend with a new boyfriend. These issues should not be resulting in death. They just shouldn't. And so um, that's something we have to deal with. Two six zero nine two six five two three. What's your next to, issue? To uh, add to the conversation. Uh, so um, you you called it um, uh, the the, uh, the Republican Party being quote trumped. And I think that um, I'm really interested, and both Tana and I uh, do watch a lot of the political talk shows. I will have to admit we're so tired at the end of the day. We don't party as much as we used to, but we will check in on these these programs. And um, so we're very uh, much aware of, of, of what's going on with the Republican Party. And it is, of course, utterly shocking, on the one hand, um, revealing... On the other, and that's what I think the most important thing about what's happening right now is the reveal. So here you have a guy spouting truly un-American concepts. Don't let people in who aren't Christian. Oh, my God. So Buddhists can't come in. Jews can't come in. Um, again, here's a country that was literally formed on the principle of religious freedom. Most of the people who came to our country in the early days were people who were escaping religious intolerance in Europe. And, and here we have a and guy. Pers- and persecution. And persecution. And here we have a guy who wants to start that all up again. He'll say anything. And, you know, as I, I just want to vent this for a minute, and then I'll go on to what I think is really important about this. Here's a guy who is a the ultimate pushy bully New Yorker. And and I, as a New Yorker, often people think I'm a little too pushy. And okay, I accept that label because I grew up in New York. And yes, we are a bit pushy up there because you kind of have to be when you live in a city of 80, 8 million or probably it's somewhere more around 10 million at this point. But he's just a common schoolyard bully. And he repeats the same crap over and over again. And it's all, this guy's great and this guy's terrible. It's, it's, it's such fundamental. I mean, I, I just knew people. I grew up with them. I grew up with them in junior high school and public school. Thank God I went to an all-girls high school to get away from that nonsense. And, and, and here he is winning over people nationally because they don't really care who he is. They just want to oppose any kind of government, and and really the fact that he got 38% of the vote yes of, of, of a, on a poll versus 30% before he said that we shouldn't let Muslims into the country um, is so revealing of who's supporting him and where they're coming from. So to me, I call it the big reveal. Well, it's he's just also- a, a reveal of, of how too many in our our uh, people in our country are thinking, and they don't even know that they are essentially un-American. Well, he, he also is very skillful in manipulating the media and using polls. Uh, every I don't time think he's so hear, skillful. I think he just says whatever the hell he no, wants to, no, but he, and it's theater, and so the, the TV people can't resist it. But he says things that are egocentric. That is, if, if he likes it, he checks it against checks it against the the people out there. If they like what he's saying, then he in, e- elaborates upon that. <laughs> I could care. I totally So disagree. he throws something out. I don't out. think he checks anything no, he says with anybody. But he checks I think polls. he'll say anything that comes to his mind. But it's egocentric. It's what he believes and what he – it has a lot to do with him personally. A uh, comment was made, I think, in one of the programs yesterday that it has nothing to do with the Republican Party. It has all to do with Trump. 
and that is Trump's focus and Trump's interpretation of the Republican Party in his own personal egocentric way that's really driving the support that he's developed. I think that what's really important in the long term about the impact of the trumping of the Republican Party is that he's dismantling it in a sense, and it is going to have to recover from it. Now, he's got some other buddies in there, too. I mean, uh, you know, Rubio and um, Cruz... Um, uh, aren't far behind They're him. More so articulate, it, or more articulate, but share similar views. They sound rational. Yeah. They sound more rational, but they're really not. Seku, what do you think? I think a lot. <laughs> about a lot of things. <laughs> I know right? you do. Let I know you do. Trump, uh, for Trump concern, his message resonates with a certain element in American society, right? Yes. yes. Yep. All right. So I'm, I'm going to get off the Trump thing because uh I would elaborate, but I want to get at what, what you were talking about, the guns in, in America, right? Yes. Historically, this country subjugated the native people, right? Then enslaved my ancestors. Yes. The guns have always been a romantic functional tool in the hands of white men to suppress and maintain control over people in this country, right? Well said. So the RNA, the National Rights Association, is in line with the large majority of uh, of people, white male power structure, so-called elite in America. Now, we talk about Black Wall Street, we talk about Rosewood, there's, there's many, uh, we talk about the Mechanics Hall Massacre, 1877, 70, uh, Liberty Monument Statue, this, this country is repleted with extra-legal violence taken up hands of uh, lynching, mass lynchings of black men. So this is in line with the, the nature of the American society. So there's nothing new. It's been in the history, in the analogs of this country for, for hundreds of years. So uh, and it, as far as the gun is concerned with African-American people, we was denied the opportunity to own, go, own guns for centuries in America. So black people owning guns is a, is a new phenomenon in the last, let's say, 50, 60 years in this country for the citizens are concerned, right? Right. So uh, I've got guns, and I'm not a user. You know what I mean? So I'm not a member of RNA, but uh, 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 I would say RNA, yeah, Republican. I used to be a member of the Republican. NRA, NRA, yeah. National Rifle Association. But many of the men I know, we believe in self-defense. And self-determination. So my thing is, I think everybody should be on myself. Personally, I think everybody in America should have a gun. Because uh, this country and the elements in this country don't wish as well as a people. And uh, we got to be in a position to defend ourselves. That's you think, so I hear. Do you think everybody should have the right to have a gun? What about people who have exhibited uh, problems socially uh, or those who have mental issues as well? Well, I mean, there should be, there might be, there should be, might be some restrictions, but who's going to determine what is a, a mental illness and what is not a mental right. illness? I think some people will use all kinds of means to deny people access to weapons and, and, and defend, uh, you know, personal weapons, right? Okay, so, so yeah, say could... some exceptions to the rule, but the rule would be any stable able-bodied person in the United States to have the right to bear arms. They have uh, arms in their home to protect themselves and 
and uh, the property and uh, from also elements that mean them harm politically, socially, economically in the society. So uh, I, I, I can I, I can wherever we go, wherever. America started involved. America probably going to end involved. Well, well, right. hold on, hold on, hold on, because we we can't ex- accept that we're just going to go down a violent tube. Um, let me. I, I, I understand the rationale of what you're saying, and and I appreciate it. But then we have to focus on the issue of why those guns are being turned against each other over minor disputes and anger. So we have to deal with the anger. And, and that actually brings me to another issue and, and uh, that's on my list, and that is essentially the, the, um, the failure to connect crime to the economic realities of the city. Because I say that whether you're talking about the international um, religious uh, violence um, or you're talking about uh, down-the-street domestic violence, or you're talking about two kids arguing over something petty and, and shooting each other, to me, at the heart of all of that is the lack of hope and opportunity and, and self-esteem and, and worth and through that, jobs and ec- ec- economic uh, potential on the part of individuals. Now, I tell me I'm wrong about that. I agree 100 I don't cut you off, but I agree 100% what you're saying. Yeah, most of the crime that is, is committed in the United States for so-called crime is a, uh, a response to the de- deprivation, uh, lack of resources, lack of money, lack of anything they need to basically survive, and people are turning on each other. It's not always a personal thing. It's more or less uh, economic deprivation that's driving some of the so-called crime and what, the carjacking. You know, uh, armed street, armed robberies. So, uh, so Seiko, what? So, Seiko, all that is generated by a, a population in the city that's been historically oppressed and presently oppressed economically, and, and and lack of opportunity for young black men in the, in this city, across this country, and that the fact that 52 percent or more of black men in New Orleans unemployed. This is unacceptable to a lot of people in the city. Okay, and, you know, so, so Seiko, uh, aside from addressing the heart of the economic issues, and and that's what I think. We don't do enough, and, and I am infuriated, totally infuriated, speak about anger, at the, at the refocusing of political issues on issues that have nothing to do with what is really at the heart of whether we're going to make any progress in this country or not. So the, the focus on, on, on abortion, for example, and, and other um, issues in, in that category – uh, is so distracting from the real issue of what are we doing about the the disappearance of manufacturing jobs, of port jobs, of all the kind of jobs that used to keep people busy and, and progressing in the city. That's on the one hand. But on the other, I want you to address to me how do you deal with kids who are taking out their their anger and their issues with guns on each other? Well, 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 let me just say, I mean, you know the solution? I'm going to tell you the solution is, and uh, Dr. Martin King and, and talk about redistributing the, redistributing, redistributing the pain. We talk about redistributing the resource in this country. They, this country is, up, is, up, is, up, is, it is obscene to have the extreme wealth in the society at the same time as extreme poverty. And until this contradiction gets resolved, there should be a, a, a total reorganization of American distribution of income and resources and, and, and wealth in this country to the point that most of the citizens can live a decent life in this society without having to resort to any other 
extra legal means to survive. And that's, I, I agree. Everything you're hitting on is right on time. Okay, so let me just say about that. We're talking about the redistribution of wealth in a society where everybody have opportunity, everybody have the same chances, and that's not the reality Okay, right and I couldn't agree with you more. Thank you, Seku. But Thank I am going to have the last... Thanks for your programming. He's right on time with the, with the topic. Have and, a good and, day. And, and thank right. you. And the I'll only the city council. <laughs> All right. I'll, I'll, uh, thank you very much for, for your point of view. The one thing I want to add to what he said is there's no doubt about, and actually that was another issue on my list, it's for a long time I kept wondering why the, the inequality that has developed in a country that was, again, founded on the principle of equal opportunity. We were founded on the basis of religious freedom and equal opportunity. It's all kinds of language in our Constitution and in all of the philosophers whose words really – Uh, with a, uh, at the heart of uh, how we were founded, that was about equal opportunity, and But that the doesn't. Problem, that, that, the problem. Hold, was. hold on one second. That doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> this is this is an ongoing thing. My husband thinks I talk too much, but okay. Uh, usually on my show, I let everybody else talk, but I'm I'm venting today. So uh, uh, the thing that that bothers me about the the lack of of uh, inequality, there is no doubt that that is. I mean, rather the inequality. There is no doubt that that is the core issue that we must address instead of all these other distracting issues. But at the same time, parents and youth have to take responsibility for how they deal with their personal situation and their anger. I can't get away from that. You just have to do that. Well, one, just Hold one, on. One just, other, just one other quick thing. One second, caller. I'll the, be right with many you. Many of the okay. framers of our Constitution were slave owners. So you – that – That equality issue uh, was back. not was not as clear as may appear in That's writing. True. That's very true. Yes, who have I got? Hello. Hello. Yes, Carl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I can hear you. Go ahead. I think I might might have just lost you somehow, Carl. Call back in, okay, dear? I, I, somehow I'm, I'm not hearing you. Um, so so the inequality is, is one of my big issues. Corporate dominance of the political arena is another, and that was vastly made worse by the Supreme Court, what they call the Citizens United decision that basically said that corporations could spend however much they bloody want to in influencing our political climate. Political so contributions. Well, so through contributions in the races. It's more than just contributions because they basically fundamentally support these PACs that, uh, that, that uh, hide behind some, some cute name about democracy and they wind up essentially trying to throw an election. And the, the one thing in this trend which has been utterly horrible but that is great in our state of Louisiana – This past election, the the election of, of John Bell Edwards, I'm sure that there are some folks in my audience who don't think that's a good thing, but what I liked about it is that the the campaign of Edwards, so uh, using the word Trump again, trumped the power of the PACs that put out endless negative uh, media that they could spend millions on to prop up the um, election uh, potential of David Vitter 
And, and, and one little spot that the Edwards campaign did punched through all of that expensive rhetoric. And that was the spot where he basically um, called the, the fact that Vitter was making a call to his madam at the, at the same time that there was a vote on veterans. And I think that one spot had more impact than all the millions that the, that the PAC spent on Vitter. So the hypocrisy of that particular individual was revealed. And I know, Tanner, you don't want to get into this because y- you deal with a lot. My husband is much more... Um, egalitarian. Egalita- no, well, I don't think it's egalitarian, but a, a, a tolerant of people's different political views than, than I'm, I may be at times. But um, I have felt for so long that people are being bamboozled. There's a big old bamboozle going on in this country right now of folks who think that a party represents their interests when it, it really doesn't. And to me, this recent election in Louisiana really was um, the first time that I know of, and I'm sure it's happened in other states as well, but uh, when that dominance of the corporate culture on politics uh, was challenged. Well, we spent a half an hour on only two issues, and we had a whole <laughs> list. Okay, move us on. Uh, well, I, I'd like to bring up um, the... Uh, something really positive, and that is the the, um, retar- the the vibrancy of neighborhoods all over the city that are coming back is not the right word coming forward. So let's start with Central City. What an incredible tipping point we have reached there, where for so many years you could drive up and down what used to be Dryad Street and was named for one of um, my personal heroes, Aretha Castle Haley, um, and was just dead in the water. It, 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 was, it was really went down as a part of social change that happened uh, through the civil rights movement. Um, and then uh, all the government programs in the world didn't have any impact. And, and then, as I say, basically a few arts pioneers, people like Carol B. Bell and, and um, uh, Andy Antipas, and um, I, I want to call her name that had the neighborhood gallery who, who uh, brought, uh, came to four uh, with, uh, Keith, I'll take you in just a minute, um, and came to four. Sandra uh, Berry. Sandra San- thank you. Um, and then, of course, Ca- Cafe Reconcile. And then now you get the uh, Urban Mayfield's uh, Jazz Club, the uh, Southern Food Museum, um, the Myrtle Banks building that's not finished with what they're doing, but that's a, a major development. Nora opening their offices there and all the nonprofits that are there, Yep and others. And, and new residential in the neighborhood. And then, of course, with, with those pioneers uh, comes residential revival. And so the revival of Central City to me is one of the big stories. And, and this past year is when I think the tipping point was reached. The same things are happening on Broad Street, on Ferret Street. Of course, magazines been on happening Bayou for Road. some time. On Bayou Road in, in the in the 6th and 7th Ward. And um, now, in, in of course, uh, all the downriver um, neighborhoods of Marini, Bywater, and now increasingly in the, throughout the 7th, 8th, and 9th Wards. I mean, it's in just Araby. In phenomenal. In Araby. In the West Bank. Let me take Keith. Keith, what you got? Thank you. You used that word bamboozle a few minutes ago. I'm going to give, like the young people say in the street, I'm going to give you a little something, something, okay? 
First of all, you got schools across the state and across the, the country that ain't worth a dime no more. You got teachers whose teachers ain't worth a dime. Then I used to can count at graduation time across this city on my hand how many people's graduating high school. You can't, I can't do it no more. Thank you, sister. That's all I have to say. Wait, Keith. Yeah, I'm here. I want you to continue on so what with is that the just bamboozle? a little bit. I want to hear some a little yes, bit more. Yes, so yes, what do you yes. feel the bamboozle is? You have schools that have been created in this country, and you've been hearing about them in the news all the time. you got protests up and down the state lines and everything. And, and it, like you use that word corporate, corporation, all that. These schools ain't worth the dime no more, Sister Jean. Oh, and you got teachers yeah. who are scared of students. Some of them ain't worth the dime. That, that's part of the big problem also. Well, but why do you say, think that is? That's where it really starts. So if you want a better America, a, a, a better corporate America, and work in America, they got to have better schools. Then you got to have the regular education. Then on the other hand, you need that, that, that what Booker T talking about, that, that basic uh, 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 technical training. And at the moment, these centers these across in our state and across the country – they, they, they ignoring the, the call of the SOS call. You know, I, uh, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I couldn't agree with you more. But what? That's part of the problem. And, you know, it's falling on deaf ear. Well, for instance, I, you got New Nash College. That's great. Then you got the New Senate College. That's great. But see, since we've been waiting to win for them places to open and do better. The, the problem is going bigger and bigger and bigger. You practically need a new uh, uh, tech, uh, uh, tech school on every corner now to solve this problem across America. It's, it's growing bigger. But I know that costs money, and some people who are, who are senators, who are conservatives, they they, some of them are married to being in the Senate uh, and a state job and in the city job. And, and, you know, we, we can say so many things. But uh, I remember one time, I mean, one time, Gene, I ain't going to tell you no lie. That's all he was doing was Carl Jackson. Carl Jackson went down. Now they went to, you know, just basically killing each other, you know, just simply shooting each other. So it looked like they were running out things to do, such as ripping each other off, Carl Jackson. Now they just basically, basically get down to killing each other. So that's what it boiled down to. Well, how, how do you think that the schools can be improved? What do we have to do? Look at the everyday society. That's what it comes down to, just killing each other now. They used to kill each other over something, but it looked like they're just killing each other over just killing each other. Yeah. You used to hear about drugs involved, but you don't even hear about that no. Now it's just killing each other, basically. So what I'm saying, basically... You damn near have to put a text tool on every corner now to solve this problem. Or just get rid of, uh, bring back the basic public schools and get rid of those schools that ain't worth it. So like I say, Kip schools and charter is a problem. They're making news since they've been putting it in place. That's all, that, that's, you know, that, we hear it all the time. What is the beef, what, what is about public schools these people don't like? They knew the, the public schools system works, but it seemed like it's too good. They need, I don't know what it is, I don't know what these corporate conservatives are thinking about, but it's driving this country crazy. 
I, I agree. Keith, I want to uh, move on because I'm running out of time in the show. But I, I, I think that you're at the heart of it. I know where I'm coming from. That's just a few words I was wanted to see. Okay, well, um, uh, thank you very much, Keith. And, and let me just add to what he said, because it's, it's interesting. So there is a new program at the, at the, uh, that's being nursed at a very preliminary level by the state called Career Technology Education, or CTE. When I talk about this, almost nobody knows about it because it's so quiet still, and it's at a very early stage. And unfortunately, I think one of the problems is that it's, 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 it's starting off at too bureaucratic a level and with no sense of crisis or urgency to do exactly what Keith is saying, is to up the ante of providing technical education. And let, let's be clear about what we mean by technical education now, because it isn't just like the old-time Votech with, you know, carpentry and, and welding and so forth, all of which are valid and needed and important, and there are jobs in those areas that are going um, lacking. But it's also about dealing with the new high-tech economy, which uh, anybody who listens to my show knows that I go on about this a lot, that we have to prepare people to be able to work in this new technology world or else uh, folks are not going to be eligible for jobs. This is a program that is being developed, uh, whether it's in public schools or charter schools. Charter schools are public schools, but whether it's schools that are run by the public school system or charter schools that are under the oversight of the public school system, the CTE program, Career Technology Education, is being developed. But what I would say is that it's too quiet, too slow, and it's the whole the bureaucratic hurdles that you have to jump through to get it off the ground are I think are just a little too complicated and it really ought to be and I'm speaking here from personal experience because I've been trying to launch one of these programs and it hasn't been easy. So I I, I just want to say that there there is a technology program that is being developed, but I wish more people knew about it and would put more pressure on to push it we've, faster. We've only covered four or five of okay, the so <laughs> items on the list, and we've got maybe 15 or more. Okay. Let me, again, I want to go to some of the po- positive things that are happening. So um, I, I was talking before about the resurgence of our neighborhoods, and, and we without a doubt have to credit, for the most part, people who live in the neighborhoods for making this happen, more so than anybody, more so than any government program more so than business. It's really just residents who wanted their city to come back after Katrina. So the 10th anniversary of Katrina was an important milestone this past year. But for me, that milestone was in celebrating what neighborhoods have done for themselves. And we did that thing that I know that we talked about on the show called the Ninth Ward Improv Opera, celebrating that in part. But I also want to commend Nora because the New Orleans Redevelopment Authority, which was kind of not cutting it sometime before, I guess the urgency of the post-storm development pushed it, and I have to give Jeff Abair for some credit also and other people who were involved in, inside the agency and in the mayor's office and in the city hall for making sure that we are actually moving properties into the hands of people who want to redevelop them and come home. So I think that's been a really important development in the past year. Tannen before mentioned uh, culture in St. Bernard, and um, I've been very much a part of this. Um, my organization has uh, um, developed a sculpture garden and a museum, the first of its kind, 
um, in St. Bernard and become aware of things that people there are doing to in develop. Poydras, in, in the community of Poydras in St. Bernard Parish. In Poydras, all the way uh, down the road, as I've learned that uh, folks there say. But also um, now the uh, public officials in St. Bernard have uh, created a cultural district in Araby. That's a big move forward. And you've got this huge film studio, the ranch, uh, most people don't seem to know about it yet, but it's over there right on Judge Press Drive at the Tourist Plaza building. It's sponsored in part by Sydney Tourists and others, and, and, and people like Jason Wagensback and Jimmy Hornbeek and other people involved there are pushing, kicking behind there, making that happen. And so I think the whole brand and concept of what St. Bernard Parish is all about is changing dramatically, and that's another kind of in a sense, neighborhood resurgence in our area because they got hit hard. They lost a lot of population, and they're fighting to come back, and they're doing one hell of a job of it right now. Tan, and I'm going to – I know I'm – so your turn. Well, uh, just to go back to the list, uh, uh, I've divided them locally and nationally. The BP settlement this year was a big deal, and it is a big deal. It may take many years to have the results of this settlement realized, but it's a big deal. It's just unfortunate that the oil and gas companies are not just partners in this uh, rest, uh, reconstruction and restoration of our environment. It, it's unfortunate that it has to take a criminal uh, act to generate the income to restore this environment. Uh, the BPs of the world should be more engaged in a positive way as private-public partnerships uh, where they invest in the restoration of the environment as opposed to the current uh, matter being a settlement of, of a criminal act. So, but that BP settlement is big dollars, uh, $20 billion over 15 or more years. It will have a major impact on the entire Gulf of Mexico, not just Louisiana. It, it is a program involving all five uh, Gulf states uh, from Florida to Texas. And so the distribution of those funds uh, has a lot to do with where the damage was. And, of course, Louisiana had a major part of it. But I think the focus on the full uh, uh, environment of the Gulf of Mexico and the communities which will continue to be at risk because they are, as I call it, uh, at no ground. There's high ground and there's no ground. We're, we're still in denial about how to deal with the communities along the coast in these coastal counties and parishes and how to help people who may have to migrate to higher ground. What do they do uh, to protect themselves? Uh, other species, uh, animals, fish, are already moving out of areas that are unhospitable to them. Uh, we are not actually prepared to deal with this major migration issue within the Gulf of Mexico. Uh, I think this is, um, uh, at heart, what you're talking about is denial. And denial, I think, is a, is a major theme uh, also in a lot of the political things that we just sort of have been talking about. There, there's a denial uh, about um, climate change in general. I, I'm shocked when I talk to personal friends of mine who still uh, don't uh, accept the fact that, uh, that there's a radical, really, truly radical uh, climate change going on. When you have the melting of the polar ice cap, I mean, how can you not s look at these pictures of, of, of disappearing icebergs that are causing the oceans to rise that are going to 
uh, contribute to exactly what you're talking but about, Tana. It's not disappearing and not, icebergs. And not it's, accept that there's it's the, more. It's more icebergs because they are falling away from the what major. What did I say? Disappearing iceberg. We have more icebergs, which icebergs are really the the pieces of ice that are falling away from the major ice sheets. I stand corrected. Every but, once in a while, my, I stand one, corrected. One thing I want to just say <laughs> in relation to my last comment: uh, I'm going to be spending the month of much of the month of January mapping mapping a good deal of the Gulf of Mexico. Uh, showing where the high ground is and where the no ground is so that people can begin to see the uh, seriousness gulf-wide of communities that cannot be protected. Orleans Parish has a major protection program in place uh, from storm surge, but many of the coastal communities cannot be protected with a wall. Uh, as we have around Orleans Parish. I know, and it, it's so dispiriting to think about um, the possibilities that many of many of these communities are already disappearing, and uh, it, it's, it's, it's something that we're not focused on. Again, uh, here we are focused on some uh, uh, issues that are driven by uh, religious groups, and, and, and we are not dealing with um, realities in our environment and our uh, economy that we have to deal with. So uh, speaking of that, I want to move on to uh, on the economic front. So lately, I think finally, uh, there are people in the business and economic development arena who have embraced the, the whole idea of dealing with water as not just an important issue that uh, has environmental impact, as you've been discussing but also uh, are as recognizing a, a the economic opportunity of as it. As a resource. So, so you have uh, people in city government now, and, and kudos to the mayor for uh, uh, really acknowledging and, and uh, empowering people in his administration to well, to focus on this, and, and people in uh, statewide, you know, statewide, and GNO Inc. and, and statewide, and, and that's right, uh, uh, throughout the state and the city. Uh, we're embracing the notion of dealing with water not as just something to turn our backs on, which we did in the first half of the 20th century. We turned our back on the river, but now we are embracing the notion of, okay, how do we deal with the pervasiveness of water in a, in a very low-lying part of the world and, and both um, figure out how to live with it, but also how to um, develop our, our waterways and, and uh, storm water as opportunities. No, uh, our, our skills, our knowledge of dealing with water. We put a lot of emphasis previously into the oil and gas industry where people were trained to deal with the oil and gas industry as a resource. We need to do the same thing with uh, schools, not just colleges, but at the high school level and before, so that people are aware that there are careers associated with water, just as there were careers developed for the oil and gas industry. So water is one of the areas that um, has now become more mainstream, something that has not become mainstream yet that I've been working on uh, with a little bit of frustration, but uh, I never give up. And um, this past year, I formed something called the Breakthrough Coalition that I'm trying to build that brings constituencies together uh, beyond the arts uh, constituency to advocate for dedicated funding for our, our creative industries. And I always use that word, and I'm trying to uh, help everybody recognize that it's not just about visual art, performing arts, music, our food, music, architecture, um, are sort of what people know us for, but um, it's beyond that. It's all about design, architecture, 
um, uh, graphic design, uh, media, culinary, all of it is the creative industries. Digital work. Digital work. We, we have to realize that worldwide – Economies, cities, countries are pursuing the creative industry. So while we still are patting ourselves on the back for being a cultural center but not investing in it, we are losing ground every second to places like Cleveland and Denver and places on the East Coast that where people are, are picking up on this. And all you have to do is, you know, uh, Google creative industries and Google London and, and, and see what's going on in places like um, uh, in England and Europe and South America and Australia, all over the world. People are recognizing the importance of the creative industries as, as one of the top growth industries, and we here are still not truly acknowledging well, and investing in it. There's another aspect of that. ISIS is using social media, which is a very creative part of life, for its own purposes. We should be doing, we who are not part of ISIS should be using social media in the same way to encourage people to participate in more creative life. Uh, so uh, ISIS is a perfect example of the use of creativity uh, through social media to encourage people to pursue their way of life. And there's an opportunity here to use the same kind of strategy to encourage people to become more involved in a positive, creative life. You know, I know you're right, but it sure makes my stomach turn to link the word ISIS and creativity. Uh, I, I, I think you're right, but that, that's a hard one for me to deal with. Riverfront development in the city of New Orleans. This is another area, I think, of both positive potential development um, but also has um, its issues. So right now I've been involved with um, uh, uh, looking at the issues surrounding the development of uh, the Poland Avenue Wharf, which is a um, site that's going to be both a, a place for in, in increased public access to the river and also a terminal for a cruise ship line. And uh, I think everybody... Uh, in the neighborhoods adjacent to, to the cruise terminal and beyond, are really hopeful that um, this is this uh, this um, wharf will be developed in a way that will be of benefit uh, to people in the communities around it and to the whole city, and not just uh, to um, uh, the uh, cruise ship industry itself. Now, the cruise ship industry itself is bringing in millions of dollars of economic impact through the passengers that come into the city because when you when you have home ports, and that's what we're talking about at this particular site, a home port, you have people who come in earlier because they want to make sure they're going to get on that ship on time, but they also spend time in the city and they go to the restaurants and they go to the art galleries and they and they go to, um, you know, the French Quarter, and they go to other places. And so we're hoping that that's going to be of benefit to the surrounding neighborhoods. And I just want to say, by the way, that we do have some community meetings tonight at the Sanchez Center at 6 o'clock and on Saturday morning at 10 o'clock. If, if you're interested in participating, these are sort of early, uh, smaller meetings to kind of um, uh, really start the discussion and uh, if you call um, 218-4807, um, you can RSVP and, and uh, uh, be able to come to one of those meetings. It's, it, those are smaller locations that we're at, so it's kind of on a first-come, first-served basis. So RSVP at 218-4807. 
uh, so that you can be included in the discussion around the Poland Avenue wharf and, and its future. I want to Public bring up, access I, as well as uh, cruise ship use. Can yes. I bring up something we haven't talked about? We Please. now have enormous investment in hospitals and clinics yeah. in this city, mega hospitals, the state hospital, the, uh, the veterans hospital. People should be thinking about careers uh, that the, we have these facilities and there is major demand for people to work and, and uh, develop careers in association with those major complexes. So I think that we need to have a more organized effort to involve citizens uh, in the uh, relationship to these institutions that are uh, at a scale that we've never had before. You know, so I, I'm we're cl- coming to the. I can't believe how fast this hour went, and, and I, you know, I don't usually uh, do most of the talking, and, and here we are, both of us doing most of the talking. But uh, we're coming to the end of the show, and I, I just want to emphasize, for those of you who didn't realize this, think about what happened in this past election, and the fact that people getting out to vote achieved something that nobody thought was possible. We just turned our state blue again for the first time, and we're the first state in the South to do that. And why did that happen? Because people got registered and got out to vote. No, now, we, we didn't turn the state blue. We turned the governor blue. Well, you know, that is going to have an impact. Let's just put it that way. It, it definitely uh, is interesting. And we have some other people up there who are uh, of the other persuasion who I'm counting on to really help us. Billy Nungesser as lieutenant governor, I think, Having a, a powerful advocate uh, in, in the cultural area is going to be great for the state. I'm really excited about um, uh, Dardan becoming the uh, head of the Division of Administration. Um, the stars may just be aligned for some progress, let's call it, in, in the state. But um, on the other hand, I just want to remind you, if you have not registered to vote, if you're listening to me now and you have not registered to vote in the next, in the upcoming elections, then you are missing your chance to have impact on the world that we live in. So I want to, in a sense, close on that note that even though there is not an election tomorrow, this is the time to register when when you are still within the time frame that you can register because you get too close to the election, and as you know, you run out of time to do it. So think about that right now. Uh, make, make it your New Year's resolution. We're coming up on the new year, and we want to really try to make sure that um, you, you realize that uh, this is this is the time to do it. Get yourself registered. Pay attention to the news. I know you're not reading the newspapers, a lot of you young folks out there, and you're not watching television, so you're listening to the radio at least, right, or else you don't hear me. Register. Prepare to vote. Um, I have one one last word, too. Just barely. And that is to find something that you can do, everybody can do, creatively. Great closing lines. This is Gene Nathan. This is Crosstown Conversations. We'll be talking more about end of the year and year to come uh, in the coming shows be, un, until the end of the year. Thank you so much for listening. And, um, you know, let me know what you think. Bye. <laughs>